I believe we all have examples in our lives where we say, I want what they have. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for me, this has not always been material things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been those people who experienced the true joy of life. Mm. Um, and I don't know that we all get those examples for us. Yeah through either our own family or the people that we're around all the time. And there's some people that are serving as that example, and they don't even realize they're serving as that example. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I failed to realize early on was all of these people had one thing in common, a true relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. They all loved the Lord. They were faithful followers of his word, and they cherished what Christ meant to their lives. Um. I want to be that person. I want to be that example for others. Hmm. As, for example, probably somebody that was a bigger influence on me than I really ever knew until later on in life, having my own children and and uh, going through the department, being a husband, um, was my best friend's father growing up. and. He um, would come by and pick me up every morning, every Sunday morning to take me to church. Mm. Um, my family wasn't going to church on a regular basis, um, but I, they'd come by and pick me up every every Sunday morning. Um, every time I went to their house, I saw how a Christian father behaved around his children. Mm. Every time I went to their house, I saw how a Christian husband acted and how a Christian husband loved his wife. I saw how a believer had a relationship with the Lord and what it meant in their life. Um, I never realized how big of an impact he made on my life. And unfortunately, he's gone now. Hmm. And I'll never get to express that to him until we meet again. But uh a little story about him. I went off into the Marine Corps and my best friend growing up uh, from high school, he wound up getting strung out on drugs. Hmm. And um, he was running around with some folks that he shouldn't be running around with, doing things he shouldn't have been doing. And his dad one day just left a note laying on the kitchen counter, said, hey, when you get home, I need you to be here at six o'clock this evening. We need to talk. And whenever my friend showed up that evening at six o'clock, he, uh, his dad looked at him and just said, are you doing drugs? And he didn't, at that point, he didn't know what to say or what to do. And just looked his dad in the eye and had to be honest with him and say, yeah, I am. And his dad looked at him for a second and thought and just said, that's something I have no experience with. I've never been around it. I have no idea anything at all about it. But what can I do to help? Hmm. I can only imagine what I would have done as a father. I mean, I'd I'd have blown a gasket, (laughs) you know, Um, but he didn't. He he knew how to love his son. He knew Mm. to be able to help his son get the help that he needed. 
And and he did. And, you know, he got he got the help that he needed and he's doing great today. And we still talk on a regular basis. And, you know, but that example of what a father's supposed to be like, what a Christian father's supposed to be like, what a Christian husband's supposed to be like, I want to be that for others. Yeah. I want to be that example for others because I, there's others out there that are grasping mm. and they they need that example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good word. Good word. Welcome to The Testament, a podcast that spotlights the amazing real-life stories of everyday people who've been transformed by their surrender to Jesus Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of one of the many miraculous before and after accounts of lives forever changed by encountering the Savior. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Testament Podcast. This is Darius, a.k.a. d D-Lo. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just go with D-Lo? Why does it gotta be Darius all the time? Darius, a.k.a. D-Lo. Yeah, Darius. We should just change the name to D-Lo and J. <laughs> D-Lo and J. <Jay. laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and I'm Jeff Keck, and we're here today with Ward Robinson. Hey, Ward, how are you? Doing great. Good. Tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Ward Robinson. Uh, I grew up here in the Mid-Cities area of Fort Worth. Um, in high school, I was a All-American gymnast, uh, spent five years active duty in the Marine Corps right after high school, served overseas during Desert Shield and Desert Storm, uh, been a police officer um, for 29, almost 30 years now, Sheesh. Uh, been married for 28 years, um, have an absolutely beautiful wife. Um Two daughters that are both uh, grown and successful in their own rights, and uh, one grandson. Outstanding. Dila, how long have you been married? Uh, two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're at 28? 28. Yeah, we're at 26, and you're at Jeez, two. two. <laughs> I'm at two. Okay. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baby when it comes to the marriage game, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, man. I love it. It's all right. You got to start somewhere. Oh, For gosh. sure. That's funny. All right. So, Ward, this whole podcast is all about sharing our testimonies in Jesus. So, if you give us an opportunity to kind of learn maybe how, how you grew up a little bit, when did you actually find and discover Christ and accept him into your heart? And then how has he kind of led you in your life since? So I made a profession of Christ at a very early age, Mm. um, at about age five. Um, But I don't know that I really knew the true meaning behind that until a little bit later. Um, And it would have been around the age 12 whenever... uh, my best friend and his dad and everybody were taking me back and forth to church. Um, So I think I know that's whenever I actually came to Christ. Um, The problem was, is I wasn't a very good follower Mm. for a very long time afterwards. Yeah. Um, You know, I finishing up high school being a, a, a young, dumb kid, uh, going off into the Marine Corps, and you know, I didn't set a very good example during my time off in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, and then early in my career as a police officer, um, 
you know, I just, I wasn't being a good follower. I wasn't trying to follow the word of God. I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing as a Christian. Um, and then, you know, as I've gotten older, uh, some events in my life, then I've realized that that emptiness that I was experiencing um, was that intimate relationship with Christ. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, things happened at work, away from work, in my home life, that I truly began to understand the power of having that relationship and what it means to you, mm. um, what it can do for you. Um, before, you know, being young, dumb, and full of testosterone, you think you're invincible and you can do whatever, <laughs> you know, that's that may get you through at times, uh, but that's not going to get you through life. Mm. And um, yeah. that's that's where my experience is coming from, I guess. You know, I've seen a lot of people who've accepted Christ at a young age, but, and then they, then they kind of go away and astray for a while. Um, but something always brings them back. And I know we're going to talk here in a little bit about some of the things that brought you back right. um, to Christ, but at six years old or five years old or whatever it is accepting Christ, 12 years old, going into the, to the church, even at 12, so I'm assuming you went straight in the Marine Corps, right? 18 years old? Yes. Okay, so 12 to 18, right? So what is that? Sixth grade to the rest of high school or something yeah. like that? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. All right. that sounds I, about right. That's like math and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> but um, from 12 to 18 before you left the military, but you're still going to church because your friend's father is driving you there. Are you still going to church every Sunday, really not quite realizing what what you what this is all about at this point or did you have a relationship with christ between 12 and 18 and then marine corps kind of not not blaming the marine corps but going off to the marine corps kind of pushed you away again a little bit or what what would you say i would say that <clears throat> i don't know that i've without the examples around you yeah um full time i think that you may not get a full understanding of every aspect of being a Christian. Yeah. Um, and then I think that, of course, you know, going off into the Marine Corps, they don't teach you to not love the Lord. Yeah. But they, uh, they, they reform you and rebuild you the way that they want you to be. Yeah. And, you know, you just start focusing on all of that. But I think the big part about being in the Marine Corps is the extracurricular activities that take place, right. a lot of the drinking and partying and everything yeah. else all the time. I mean, you could literally go out drinking all night long and be running in formation two hours later, and right. it was no big deal. Um, but that's just the way things were back then. And, you know, whenever you're do living that lifestyle, um, you're living very carefree. Um, and that's, you know, you're not following the word of God in any way, shape or form at that point. You're just you're going out and seeking 
the pleasures of the body and uh, just trying to have fun as a kid. And you think that, you know, like I said, you, you're, you think that you're invincible and the reality of it is, is you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. So in, in that time you were saying that you were having like, you know, like really focusing on, you know, things of the flesh. And so that was, you were speaking about the time that you were in the, in the Marine Corps, right? Right. Um, man, I, I just think about, because <laughs> that was around, for you, that was kind of around, you know, high school graduation, kind of like that college age era, right? Right. Um, I've talked to Jeff about that too, like that. I feel like that time in anyone's life is a real, real vulnerable time, right? Because it's the first time where you're stepping out of your house and really being able to live on your own and kind of do your own thing, kind of do things the way that you've always wanted to or things that you always um, thought would be cool, you know? And so... Marine Corps doesn't give you that opportunity. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I know you have, you know. So, and so yeah, so, so speak more in, in, on that, kind of your experience in the Marine Corps, kind of what that looked like um, and and how, you know, your faith was really tested during that time when you were overseas in the Marine Corps. So in the Marine Corps, the first couple of years after basic training and stuff, I was uh, assigned to security forces. Okay. And um, during that time, Two years of it, um, I guarded nuclear weapons at a naval submarine mm. base. Oh, gosh. Did they even know what they were doing when they put you there? No. Oh, <laughs> not, not a clue. God. And if they knew what we were doing all the time, you know, everybody oh, would be uh, okay. worried a lot. Uh, I'm but, sorry. Uh, Side note. <laughs> the, um, but, you know, working on a, a nuclear installation where you're in charge of guarding nuclear weapons uh it it was very much a it's this way or no way mentality yeah, on right. anything and everything yeah. and it's a lot of high stress with weird at working hours on post and everything else um you know and actually i had a uh a friend of mine that i was stationed up there with at the time who lived in two doors down from me in the barracks and uh, one night he was standing guard up in the watchtower and uh, took his own life. Mm. Um, so that whenever you start seeing the stressors that, you know, just in that, that what it can do to you. Um, but then, you know, after I, after I left uh, the submarine base and, Got transferred down to Camp Pendleton in California. I was there for about five months, and the day I checked in down there was pretty much the day that uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Mm. Uh, so immediately we started gearing up for deployment overseas oh, during wow. Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I spent seven months on the ship, uh, the USS Tarawa, going overseas uh, during the first Gulf War. Uh, was on in ground or in country on ground uh, for, I can't remember, probably five, six weeks, something like that, um, in Kuwait, helping to liberate Kuwait and get it back for the Kuwaiti people. And, um, you know, the whole time I was there, the thing that I remember the most is that my salvation, I knew, was was good. 
So I didn't have to worry about me. And I really wasn't worried if something happened to me. Um, and I didn't think about myself. Mm. But what I did worry about was as a as a young leader making a bad decision that got somebody else killed. Yeah. And living with that stress, you know, I can I can remember a good friend of mine that uh on the Tarawa, it was an amphibious assault ship, and basically they kept all of the Humvees, tanks, everything else down below deck. Mm. And the night or two before we actually went ashore, we um, were sitting down in that lower part of the ship, just he and I, and we were sitting there talking about this very conversation about, you know, what happens if we make a decision? How are we going to face that family and tell that family what happened to their their child was because of a decision that I made. Um, you know, whenever you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, that's a lot of a lot of heavy yeah. weight to be putting on somebody. And um, you know, of course, during that time frame also, you're scared. I mean, you're you're a young kid and you're scared. So uh, you see a lot more people going to services uh, on ship uh, during that time frame than yeah. what you would normally see any other time because we're all scared right. uh, about what we're about to to go do. Um, but, you know, the good part about it, like I said, was I, I wasn't fearful for myself. Mm. It was fearful of my decisions. Yeah. Mm. So... You spent five years in the Marine Corps. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Deployed overseas, Desert Desert Shield and Storm. Uh, yeah, they were basically back to back. Yeah, so yeah, yes. right back to back. That was in ninety one. Yes. Right? Okay, you were born. I D-Lo wasn't was even born alive when? yet. When were you born? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. I wasn't even yeah. alive during that time. Well, I'm gonna date you a little <clears throat> bit more here in a second. So <laughs> <laughs> you missed Desert Shield, Desert Storm. You missed Black Hawk Down. You missed all this. That was yeah. in ninety three. Um, okay. Beside the point, so you spent five years in the Marine Corps. You left the Marine Corps. Did you go straight into law enforcement at that point? Yeah, I mean, I painted houses, did whatever I could to yeah. make some money whenever right. I first got out. But the first thing I did was start applying for police departments. And this was uh, the agency that I'm working at was the first one that I applied for. Yeah. Um, and it was a large enough agency that I knew that there would be some options there for me. And that's mm. that's where I wound up landing. So 31 years? 30 or two, 32. What'd you say for law enforcement since you've been? Yeah. Uh, almost 30 now. I'm at 29. Okay. 29 to 30 years. So law enforcement is a very difficult career as you and I both know. Um, in your career, your 30 year career in law enforcement, um, has you, how, how kind of has, has God been with you? How's your faith been strengthened, um, throughout your career or tested, uh, in those times as well? Because I know, because I can speak, I can speak from experience on this one, right? So we've seen the worst of the worst of society, right? Right, and so there's times when you sit there and you go, "Oh my gosh, what in the world is going on here?" Um, but having a grounding in Christ in the midst of all that stuff, it really does test your faith. It really does sometimes hurt hard. So tell me, in, in your own words, throughout your career. How has the Lord kind of either been with you or how has your faith been tested? Or tell me how that inter interacts with 30 years of law enforcement. 
So I, I think that the easy part of that is the testing. Yeah. Um, because we do see so much. Mm. We see so much evil out there and the innocent victims. And you begin to question how can such a loving God let these things happen? Um, that I don't know that I will ever be able to figure out the answer to. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's a plan. I don't, I don't understand in my feeble mind how that plan all is supposed to work or look. Um, but it's up to me to have the faith that the plan is, is a, the right plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the big thing for me in law enforcement is that it has taken a lot of strength and courage to endure this type of a career. And I think that that, that strength and courage can only come from Christ. Yeah. Um, to go in day in and day out and face the challenges that we face, see the evil that we see, and deal with it on a regular basis— um you better have a a place of faith to fall back on to continue doing that to yourself day in and day out because otherwise it's going to do irreparable damage. Mm. I think both of us in our careers have we've met those people. Yeah, absolutely. We've met those people who spent all that time in law enforcement with with no faith in God or belief in God or whatever. And um, I think they just seem like miserable people <laughs> just to try to be not, and then right. not trying to be nice here, but um, there's, there's some people that are hurting out there in law enforcement yeah. because oh, yeah. they have no hope. Yeah. You know, you, you turn to, you know, some of the things that we're really good at in law enforcement is basically compartmentalizing everything mm-hmm. that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, we just tuck it away and don't deal with it on a on a human nature or a human level because we know that I've got the next thing I've got to go to. So I've got to put this one behind me so I can go deal with the next one, mm-hmm. deal with the next person's problems. And that's all we're doing is taking care of other people's problems for a living yeah. and dealing with everybody else's problems. Well, that over time starts to cause damage to the people that are doing it. And we start turning to alcohol, um, prescription drug abuse. I mean, there's you name it, and officers are having problems out there because they're not dealing with it in a healthy way. And, uh, you know, I can even say that throughout my, my career, um, I fell victim to it myself. Mm. Um, not that I ever turned my back on Christ, but I wasn't, I wasn't leaning into him the way that I should have. Um, I wasn't grabbing the support from Christ that I needed um, to be able to deal with everything that we deal with in law enforcement. Yeah, that, that, man, I... Ooh, I couldn't even imagine. It, 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 and it, it's crazy hearing, you know, both of you kind of, you know, speak on that. And, and 
I don't know. I, 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 I'm like I told y'all before um, earlier that I don't have anyone, you know, in my life personally, right. That, that has ever been, you know, in law enforcement, like, like the closest thing is my dad, you know, served in the military. He was in the air force. Um, outside of that, I don't really have a close knit relationship with anyone who is, um, on the force. You know, I, there's someone here at the, uh, um, at the church I go to, uh, Lake church, um, she just um, joined um, the Grand Prairie Police Department, but you know, so she that was you know, that's I think she's in like her first year, um, and so outside of that, you know, I've never really actually got to dive deep into the mind of someone uh, of an experienced officer, someone who's been in it for a long time, and so, um, yeah, like you were you know speaking on on that and, and kind of kind of about to go into you know you know your story and i didn't want to know like you know we know that the enemy attacks us right you know especially if we are you know getting closer to christ right cuz his his main you know mission in life is to separate us as far from god as possible right um uh, and even times i've heard people speak on you know satan being you know jealous you know, in a way, jealous that he can't have what we are promised, right? And so, therefore, he wants to kind of, you know, Satan knows. Satan knows his 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 fate, right? He knows what the end is going to look like for him. And so, he wants to drag us down with him, All as right. many of us as he can. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of did want to ask, you know, tell us a little bit more um, about, you know, how the enemy attacked you, you know, in your life, Um you know, and like in, in your career, per se, you know, in what ways did that kind of um, did he, you know, in a way, you know, bait or pursue you um, and try to bring you down, you know? And also, I wanted to ask, to, I kind of add to that as well. You know, when you go into that, also kind of explain, you know, how you were able to overcome, you know, and kind of like where you're at, you know, today. So this. uh this is the part that's a little bit more difficult for me to talk about at times. Okay. Um, but take your time, brother. We're in yeah, a hurry. Yeah. So I think that the damage <clears throat> that we as police officers do to ourselves and dealing with everybody else's problems, mm. it's it's cumulative. Mm. And throughout the years, you just keep adding to that damage more and more and more. And you don't realize what you're doing to yourself and to your mind while you're doing all of this. Mm. Um, you know, like early, early in my career, I was one of the responding officers to the Wedgwood shooting when uh, all the kids got killed uh, during service one night. Mm. And um, being there at, on that scene and seeing all of it and, you know, trying my job after we initially got the scene secure that night was uh, we had patients, victims going to a number of different hospitals. Mm. And my job that night was to figure out which kid was at what hospital because all we knew was it was a Jane Doe on life support. Um, with There were kids. They had no ID on them or anything right. else. So I'm standing at there in front of the dry erase board trying to put all this stuff together. And people standing and parents standing in front of me going, this is a picture of my kid. Where's my child at? And I don't know if their child is one of them that's laying dead inside the church 
or if it's the Jane Doe that's at whatever hospital and I'm trying to reunite children and parents. And that that was my job was, you know, taking that radio call from the officer at the hospital saying, you know, I've got this this Jane Doe here. This is about how old she looks. She's, you know, gunshot wound to the head. Uh, this is what she looks like. Can you figure out which one she is? And I'm trying to match that up with the pictures that the parents are showing me. And you're about four years on, right? At this point. Yeah. Because this was in 99. Yeah. So oh, I, was, wow. I was about four years in. Early in your career. Early in my career. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, my gosh. Then, you know, back then we didn't deal with mental health and anything yeah. else for police officers. Mm. Um my reward after that 20 something hour day was the very next day I go back out and guard crime scenes while it gets processed Goodness and gracious. did that for multiple days afterwards. Um, I can remember at the time having a very, very supportive wife hmm. that literally that first night I finally got off duty and getting home and crawling up into my wife's lap in the fetal position and just crying like a baby. Um, I was unable to talk about that experience with anybody. I couldn't express it to her. I couldn't tell her what I was dealing with. She knew I'd been out there. She knew what had happened because of the news, but that's all she knew. And literally I had to lay there and just cry. Um, it was probably about four days into it before I could actually start talking to even my wife about what that experience had been like. Um, that Sunday morning, going to church myself, I can remember that all I did was sit there in the pew the entire service and cry, um, not knowing what to do, how to deal with it or anything else. Yeah. So, you know, it's things like that that we compartmentalize because we now all of a sudden, okay, I still got another 26 years to go in my career at right. least. So I've got- when you come back from the weekend, you got to answer calls for service. Still. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Goodness so you, you have, you That's have to go on and crazy. go do the next job. Yeah. Um, I promoted up and uh, was uh, very fortunate to um, become the lieutenant or the commander over the violent crime section for the police department for criminal investigations. Okay. Um, with that duty and responsibility, I had the homicide unit, major case unit who did all of our officer-involved shootings, um, robbery unit, fugitive unit, human trafficking, and missing persons. Okay. And um, for five years, that was my job. Mm. And, you know, I was going out on all the call outs, dealing with everything. Um, you know, it's all of the people that were being murdered in Fort Worth, um, the officers that were shot and killed while I was over that. You show up on the scene of all of these different calls and you're dealing with the most horrific scenes, the most horrific stories that could possibly happen to somebody. And you're expected to be that calm in the middle of the storm yeah. for those family members and everything.
whenever those are images that I've got to live with for the rest of my life that I will never, ever get out of my head. Mm. Wow. So I'm dealing with all of that. And from the outside looking in, my life was nothing but unicorns and rainbows. Mm. I was living the perfect life. Um, successful career, um, a beautiful wife, successful marriage, kids are growing up, they're getting married themselves, you know, things are just, everything's perfect. Except what was going on in my head. Mm. And that's where, that's where the devil was, <clears throat> was doing his work. Mm. Um, I caught myself, uh, compartmentalizing every aspect of this every day. You just push it aside. I had to push it aside by the time I left the scene of that murder because I might not even make it back home and my phone's going to ring and say, you got to come back in for another one. Yeah. So, and you have to be ready to deal with that. Um, I was doing that and I was doing okay compartmentalizing it, but I was never ever using my faith as a way to deal with it. So it never goes away. It's compartmentalized, but it's still there. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't ever, you don't ever deal with it. And whenever you don't deal with it and you don't use your faith to uh, get the strength and the courage to continue on with it, then it just keeps doing more and more damage. Well, towards the end of my time there at, uh, as the commander over violent crime, in uh, 2020, in February, right after, right as COVID was breaking out and mm-hmm. going along, um, <clears throat> I lost my dad to suicide. Mm. He lived in uh, a neighboring city to uh, the agency where I'm working at, and he um, drove from his house over to the town that I'm working in and uh, took his own life. Um, I don't know why he did that other than what I can only assume was to make sure that I got notified appropriately. Hmm. Um, I know that it was a struggle for my homicide sergeant and my homicide detectives that went out on that call whenever they started running his uh, emergency contact information on the driver's license and realized that the same name is their lieutenant's name. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine being in their position and how hard that was on them. But we were in the middle of COVID and we couldn't have a funeral. Mm. We couldn't. Do, there are so many things that we couldn't do. Wow. Couldn't have an estate sale. We couldn't do any. We couldn't. We couldn't even go to court to probate a will mm. um, because everything was shut down. Um, so I compartmentalized it and dealt with it the same way that I did everything else that I'd been dealing with. Goodness. Um. Later on that same year in October, I lost my mom to a massive stroke. We were still at the tail end of COVID. Mm-hmm. And once again, courts, 
um, estate sales, probating wills, all of that stuff. You just couldn't do it. So right. once again, I compartmentalized it and moved forward because I prioritized work of I've got to get back to work because mm-hmm. I need to go help others. Um, there was one night in uh, I believe it was either January or February is right at the one year mark after my dad's suicide um, that I got a phone call at home and was asked to uh, respond into work because we'd had an officer involved death, a shooting. It wasn't the officer that was killed, but he, the officers had been in a short pursuit. Um, at the termination of the pursuit, they did a little bit of a foot chase and, you know, they had cars surrounding this guy in dash cams, body cams, all of it's being caught on video. And, as the officers begin to approach, this 18-year-old kid reached down into his waistband, pulled a gun out, and stuck it to his head and killed himself. Then the officers ran up and started trying to administer first aid. Well, just like every other incident that I go on, I'm sitting there reviewing video and doing everything else that night, trying to make sure that we're doing everything. And all of a sudden, the only image that I can see in my head is my dad's. My dad was an 80-something-year-old white male. Mm -hmm. This was an 18-year-old black male kid. And all I could see was my dad's face. Mm -hmm. All I could hear was my dad gurgling for those last couple of breaths, trying to grab those last couple of breaths. I broke. Yeah. Um, And I broke in a major way. At that point, for the next three weeks— I started having a lot of my own suicidal ideations. Mm. Towards the end of those three weeks, the devil really started pulling hard at trying to make it happen and started trying to convince me that the only way to make all of those thoughts and those images go away was to actually do it. Mm. And I had the devil's voice in my, you know, talking to me the whole time, just saying, just do it. Just get it over with and you won't have to deal with this anymore. Just do it. That was something that I didn't know how to tell my wife. Yeah. I didn't know how to tell anybody else. And you didn't know where to try and find the help. And I reached out to uh, finally broke down one morning uh, I'd called off work and I called, uh, told my wife a little bit about what was going on. Still didn't have the courage to tell her exactly what was happening. And uh, called peer support counselor from our department <clears throat> who came and met with me. And um, we started working on getting me some help. That was the moment in my life that I found I had to start dealing with all of this in a different way. That was the point that put me on my knees praying to God to carry my burdens for me because I couldn't carry them. Mm. That was when I finally realized that all of this time 
I was going through life trying to present the image of being a good Christian, but not necessarily being a good Christian, Hmm. not being a good faithful follower, not being somebody that was truly in love with Christ. That is when I finally started to, one, start getting some help for myself and be getting some pressure taken off, um, having those honest conversations with God, then all of a sudden you can feel the, you can feel the weight just being lifted off your shoulders. That was, uh, probably the, where I realized. So I think that one of the things I've always tried to do at work and through the Marine Corps and at home and stuff is you know, I talked about wanting to be that example for others, being that leader. This last experience, I think in my in my heart, I was able to find what it means to be a leader and what it takes to be a true leader. And that's to be a good follower and to be a follower of Christ, being a servant to others, being a servant to the Lord and trying to follow him is where you can find that relief. Following Christ at that point meant something totally different to me than what it always had in the past. Um, Now I'm trying to be that example for others. Now I'm trying to use that experience to help others that are coming along behind me. I try to make it down to the academy now and talk to all the new young officers that are coming on and tell them what they will nobody else on this department or any other department will ever tell them mm. what it's like to go through this mm. and how to how you can find the help and that they don't have to go through it alone. Um I'll tell you that's where I was at was a lonely lonely bad place to be. And um it scared me, it scared me a lot. Um, but thankfully, uh, through, through God's love, I'm still here. Mm. We have been able to manage this now. It's no longer I, now it's we. So you got involved in a group though, too. Yeah. So fortunately, there's a um, deal, dealing with mental health. Mm-hmm. And people that are going through, you know, the the suicidal ideations and stuff, that's it's not something that you tackle on your own. And fortunately, uh, God has blessed a number of people to be able to help. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting some professional counseling along the way has certainly been a part of what I've gone through. I've done a number of different uh different things, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy, non, non-traditional stuff, EMDR, uh, eye movement, desensitization, reassociation therapy. Okay. Uh, so basically uh, trying to teach your brain to reprocess things in a different way and how to handle it. And basically instead of channeling it over here, a healthy way to try to actually deal with it and process it. Mm-hmm. A big part of that was through the uh, 
the One Tribe Foundation, formerly known as 22 Kill. They basically, the original name 22 Kill is because of the 22 veterans that we lose daily. Every day. Every day because of suicide. Wow, that's a real statistic. I did not know about that. Yeah, 22 veterans a day are taking their own life because of everything that they've dealt with. And, you know, suicide, suicide's that one stigma that nobody wants to talk about. Right. You know? yeah. Nobody is willing to reach out there and talk about that one. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got somebody in your family that says that they've got mental health issues of some sort, it doesn't matter what it is, they get ostracized. That's yeah. it's a stigma that nobody wants. Hmm. Um, I think that. My purpose now is I'm being led to break that stigma. I think God has given me this to deal with, but given it to me as a challenge to be able to help others. And, you know, now I stay active with the One Tribe Foundation and, you know, try to go to counseling sessions or group, group sessions to help out those that are just coming in. Um, this particular organization deals strictly with nothing but veterans and first responders and medical Mm -hmm. field workers. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, but those are the people that are out there doing jobs that nobody else, it, nobody else is willing to do. Those are the people that are willing to take on these damages to try and benefit somebody else. So, yeah, the uh, One Tribe Foundation, 22 Kill, is a, is a group that I still try to stay pretty active with. So you've been involved with One, One Tribe Foundation. You've gotten some other help as well. Um, what else What else are you involved in as far as um, helping to solidify your faith? Now, <clears throat> you and I go back a little ways, so I know and I've seen a big difference in you and the way that you've really kind of turned your life into more of wanting a relationship with Christ. Um, so what are some other things that you've been doing to kind of get you back into that relationship with Christ? You know, the I've been involved, and of course, I can't use this as an excuse because it is not one. But unfortunately, life and work still gets in our way of sure. doing a lot yeah. of stuff that yeah. we wish we could do more of. Um, it's not an excuse. Um, if it is an excuse, it's a poor one, but yeah. I let work get in my way of doing some Bible study with, uh, some of my friends at work that we've, um, we've put together a little, uh, men's group to, uh, study the word of God and to, to learn from one another, to pray with one another, to help one another, uh, dealing with this. Um, I've got a friend at work that, uh, we do some individual Bible study together, uh, Who's that? That would be one Jeff Kent. <laughs> oh, wow. I think I know him. <laughs> but you're right on track with that, too. I mean, the enemy tries to really infiltrate that time. And we we, yeah. we finished one study together on the armor of God. Right. We're in the middle of another study right now on uh, Christ-centered masculinity. Christ-centered masculinity, um, which we have seen. Work and and time just interject right in the midst of that. So a- absolutely, yeah, and it and it keeps jumping in the way and preventing yeah. us. I mean, that's it, it's <clears throat> it's the devil doing his work. I mean, he's jumping yeah. in there. We're going to push through, though. Yeah, we We're will. Push we will. We will. You know, but push through. Prevail. Some of the other things that I'm I'm trying to do right now is, um, you know, ultimately the big thing for me is 
that example that I was describing with my friend, best friend's dad growing up. Yeah. And there's there's other men in my life and a whole lot of women in my life that and that's probably a subject for another day is yeah. how how the women in lot in of families seem to be the more Christian leader yeah. than the men. Um I just saw um I don't know if it was a sermon. I don't think it was a I don't know if it, it might have been a sermon. It was somebody was it was a video that I was I watched. It happened to just scroll, I mean I pop on my like my feed. And they and they said the same thing though. They it, it, they were talking about how um like men of homes need to step up because mm. um yeah. there's a lot of homes where like the woman is the one who is stronger in the faith absolutely yeah. and so it's, it's just it just you said that and i'm it just was crazy you know i just it, saw something it's like the great you know it's the grandmothers it's the mothers that yeah. are taking the kids to church yeah every sunday it's not the dad that's saying hey we've got to jump out there and go no dad's probably laid up watching the the cowboys that's game whenever it comes on um <laughs> Man, that's crazy but i i I did have and I have had the examples to the contrary with some of the men in my life. Yeah. And I want to be that example for the young men in my life now, pre- predominantly the uh, my son-in-law mm-hmm. and my future son-in-law to be my son-in-law in one week. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, but, That's you cool. know. They've all got friends. Yeah. They've got young men that are still in their lives. They are in that same stage that I was in in the Marine Corps that were, you know, drinking or chasing women or doing whatever else is their priority. Yeah. I don't, I want to be the example to them of, okay, this is what it's supposed to be like. Right. And, this is how a father becomes a Christian leader of a family. This is how somebody is the Christian husband that they're supposed to be. Mm. And I want to be that example to them. But I can't be that if I'm not practicing it myself. Right. And yeah. that's where my life has changed over the past <laughs> several years is that I have to place a lot more focus on my relationship with Christ mm to be able to be that example for them. Right. And that's what, that's where the biggest turnaround for me has happened. Well, I've seen it and I see where you're going with it and you're absolutely getting, getting what you want, right? You're getting, you're getting closer to Christ and I can see your efforts in that every day. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So we always like to ask, um, Ward, you know, what is, you know, like a, you know, your favorite verse or passage. And, and like I said, that looks like, you know, whether it's a verse, whether it's a whole book, whether it's a book that's outside the Bible, you know, um, you know, anything that kind of sticks with you and has kind of helped you, um, stay on track when it comes to, to following Christ, you know, kind of like, so what, what, what is that for you? You know, I've thought about this quite a bit and I think whenever Christ is trying to teach us about humility and leadership Mm -hmm. is where I think that 
it's something that means a lot to me because of my profession and what I've done and the leadership roles that I've been in and where I'm trying to go now yeah. as a as a leader within my own family and with uh, these younger, uh, younger men around me. But Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Hmm. You know, that type of humility, that type of leadership, that type of sacrifice is where we can make a difference. You know, I think that the greatest leader of all times is Jesus Christ. You know, and yet he was humble. He had a servant's heart. Uh, he led by example. And he was a faithful follower of his father. Mm -hmm. um, this is all, you can see all of this with, you know, Jesus being baptized by John in uh, Matthew or in John 13, where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And in Luke, where Jesus saves the second thief on the cross next to him. That's, that's the example Example I will never be able to live up to, yeah. but that's the example that we all need to be following is that type of humility, that type of servant attitude, that type of dedication to each other. 100%. Good word, man. That. Hey, that. how can our listeners find out more about One Tribe Foundation if they're needing uh, some help? So if somebody is needing some help and they will help you get there, regardless of whether you have the... Uh, the military or first responder background. Yeah, that was my but, next question. Is it, is are you required to be military first responder? So they for their for their services, yes, but they can get you to the proper resources that okay. you may need if you are not a first responder or whatever. Okay. Uh, but it's one tribe foundation. The number one tribe foundation dot org. One tribe foundation dot org. Okay. Sounds awesome. Ward Robinson, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your testimony with yeah. us, man. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm certain that uh, somebody out there is going to need gonna need your word. And 100%. so, um, yeah, yeah, 100%. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Ward. Appreciate you. That was so powerful. Folks, if you want to learn more about who Jesus is, visit us at thetestamentpod.com. That's thetestamentpod.com. And click on the gospel message at the top of the page. Also, you can click on the Testament Podcast tab and learn more about our podcast and see what our most recent episodes are that we've launched. In addition, we're always looking for guests who want to brag on God. So please send yourself or someone you know to thetestamentpod.com and drop us a line with your interest or email us at thetestamentpod at gmail.com. We'll send you all the information we need in order to book you for an interview. Remember, do your part. Help us get these testimonies out there. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and then like and share our posts so your friends can see what we're doing too. So thanks everybody for listening. Bye.